Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from anime series and Gundam movies to Gunpla, which are Gundam models, Gundam lore, concepts, ideas, anything and everything that is in the great Gundam universe. That's right, Isaac. And today we're back. We're going to finish off our series review of New Mobile Report Gundam Wing. So we're back for more listeners after that bloodbath. <laughs> what, what was your thought going into the back half, Isaac? Let me just say, Ryan, and I think I speak for you as well when I say today is almost a celebratory day <laughs> because it means we never have to watch Gundam Wing again <laughs> oh. for the rest of our lives. <laughs> because oh my god i was so glad to wrap up this story so many unexpected and not in a good way unexpected either just out of left field i should say things happen and i'm just left scratching my head wondering why is this series so loved it can't fully be just pulled along by the the weight of a female fan base it's just puzzling overall and um dare i say blandly painful at times to watch <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I disagree. But before we continue the bloodbath, to your point, I do think it's loved, again, kind of like because what we talked about last week. This was like the first big mecha show on Cartoon Network back when anime was starting to yeah. get really popular, right? I mean, there were some before that, I think earlier in the 90s, but they I don't think they were on Cartoon Network. Like, I don't remember where I watched Techno Man, but I don't know. Right. Anime wasn't as big back then. But that's what I think is pulling it, Isaac. I mean, this is this was the first time people saw... A Gundam or a Gundam-like thing, and it was great. Yeah, and now n nostalgia is just holding down the fort, right? Like everybody that saw it back in the '90s or early 2000s, whatever. Now they're just they just view it through nostalgic lenses. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I wonder if we'll have that reaction to other series that we go back and rewatch. However, we have gone back and rewatched some already, and I I did not have this strong of a reaction to those series. So maybe it's just something unique to this series. So it's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, doubling down on what happened before, I think this is just a case of bad writing, planning, and uh, overall not a great experience, unless for whatever reason you really got captivated by all the the pointless philosophizing about, you know, the the purpose of a soldier and, you know, total pacifism and all that stuff. <laughs> Isaac, are you not on board with total pacifism? Because everyone in this show is on board with total <laughs> pacifism, even though they failed to communicate that to each other. Brian, I'm on Team Dermail. I don't know about you. <laughs> I like that scene where he's meeting with Relena. I think right after she's like chosen as a leader, mm -hmm. and she wants to, she wants to like immediately dis or demilitarize Oz, I think, and Ramafeller. And he just kind of stands up and like, those are very naive ideas. We have like these gorillas in other countries and freedom fighters, and some countries are gonna like start small wars. Like we can't get rid of our military overnight. <laughs> Uh, but before we continue the bloodbath, listeners, uh, Isaac and I randomly had two unrelated Gundam Wing sort of encounters in our life in the last week. So I think mm -hmm. we were going to share them just to support the fact that Gundam Wing has left a lasting impression on the United States fan base. You know, here we are 25 years later from release and then I guess, you know, 20, 21, 22 ish years later from uh, release in, in America. So Isaac, you want to you want to go first? Sure. Brian, we can't escape Gundam Wing. I was at the gym today, and a fellow gym goer was wearing a Gundam Wing shirt. It was like a sort of cyan-colored shirt, 
And on it, they had um, in white the schematics for Wing Zero. Uh. So I, I was looking at it and I was like, of course, of course I'd run into this <laughs> on the day I'm recording the last half episode podcast for Gundam Wing. <laughs> so yeah, that was my encounter. I didn't talk to the guy. I was just kind of like, I, I don't know. It was just like, you know what? I, I apparently can't escape this. So, <laughs> so I went on with my day frustrated. <laughs> Little did he know that you were using the rage of watching Gundam Wing to fuel you <laughs> that day at the gym. Yep. No pre-workout for me. I just, just my anger at the series as I moved weights. <laughs> yeah. So my experience, I was talking to a fellow dad. So this is what you do when you have kids, people, you, you just, you talk to the other parents because that's really the only people you end up talking to, whoever the parents of the other kid is that your kid's playing with. And, uh, for whatever reason, we were talking about our cars being broken into. And, um, I used to have a car <laughs> and it, it was broken into three times over the course of like six years. Wow. Maybe 10 years. I don't know. But the last time it was broken into, they, I think I may have told this story on the podcast before, but I had a master grade high new Gundam and maybe the re 100 Nightingale in my trunk. And I hadn't taken wow. them upstairs to my apartment because those boxes are very big. I don't know if you've ever seen those in person, but they're very large. And anyway, I, I was telling this guy that he's like, oh, did they steal anything from your car? And I said, yeah, they said they stole these these things I had in the trunk. And like, I don't I didn't know if this guy was a Gundam fan or, you know, what am I supposed to say? So I said, oh, they st- right. they stole these models. I had the house. It sounded really strange, right? Because I was like, well, I had these models in my trunk and then they stole those. And he's like, oh, like model planes. And I was like, no, I was like, they're like model robots. Uh, he's like, oh, like Gundam Wing. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like Gundam Wing. <laughs> He was like, oh, were they Leos? <laughs> yeah, it was like, kind of. Something like that. They're like, yep, my perfect grade Leo <laughs> got stolen. Yeah, so that, in my head, I was like, there it is. That's why this show is popular, because it, it hooked an entire generation on, uh, on Gundam. And that's probably what a lot of people think Gundam is, right? Gundam Wing. So, And nothing wrong with that, you know? If you're a Gundam Wing fan, again, you're just not going to like this episode. More power to you. <laughs> I beg to differ. There's a lot wrong with it, because there's better Gundam shows than Gundam Wing. <laughs> Well, it depends, though, right? I think it's actually okay if they're a Gundam Wing fan because then they would want to watch more Gundam because they like it. Would they? If they, well, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If if they liked the show, then they they would be more likely to check out more Gundam. Like if they see you know Hathaway on Netflix, they'd probably watch it just because it was Gundam. Brian, my theory is Gundam Wing fans went on to become Double O fans. <laughs> oh, I think that's highly likely. I mean, Double O is basically yeah. redoing is like a a newer version of of Wing. And they love the movie. <laughs> right, could be. Could <laughs> they be. can't get enough of it. <laughs> just those spindly metallic aliens, they just love it. The ELSs. <laughs> yeah, so that I don't know. That's my thought. I think it's only bad yeah. if they didn't like Gundam Wing, because then they would never watch Gundam again, right? Because they'd be like, oh, I don't like Gundam. I saw that. Unless it's Gundam Wing. They only tuned in for Endless Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I tried to encapsulate my thought on the back half in a paragraph. Are you ready for this? Wow. Oh, I'd love to hear it. How poetic. Proceed. So, overall, I thought the back half was more engaging than the first half, particularly the last five to six episodes, which I think were great by the series standards. That said, I'm not sure the logic of how we got there made any sense, as the back half pivots to a new enemy that's not even mentioned in the first half, which sort of cheapened some of the development in the first half. And then, when it's all said and done, the lesson to take away from this series here, folks, is that communication is key. Because it turns out that all the characters wanted the same thing in the end, which is total pacifism. We just had to watch them all switch sides a few times and fight about it for a while until someone live-streamed it on worldwide Twitch for the world, and everyone was like, okay, I guess we should stop now. Brian, would you say 
just communication is key. Oh, hey. there it is. Zing. <laughs> the answer was in the it was in the opening the entire time. Yeah, I, we, only we had just communication. Oh. Only we had rhythm emotion. <laughs> yeah, Isaac, we didn't mention the the music last time, which may be the best thing about this show. The openings are great. Yeah, that and the ending. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> And the fact that it ends and it never returns. <laughs> we did finally get rhythm emotion in the in the back half. I think it was what episode forty. I was I wasn't expecting it to come that late. What's weird is we never had the sort of halfway little montage change right throughout the show. Mm. The end credits never changed. Right. Usually in anime series, especially Gundam, like there's a whole new song at the midway point. Yeah, it was strange. It was like thirty ep- thirty nine episodes of one, and then nine I think of the new one. Forty nine episodes of the same end credits music with you know relaying in the forest for whatever reason (laughs) just looking cute among all that grass or whatever there she goes but yeah so brian can you pull our audience along for those of us that haven't seen it or forgot what the last half of this series entails as far as plot line oh man some days i think i remember and then other days i I think i forget because it's all (laughs) just sort sort of twisted the back half starts out still focused on oz the Gundam pilots are in space now, I think. Oz is doing its, you know, diplomacy in space. It's its little smiles and handshakes uh, campaign with uh, Lady Un. Right. Oz has won over the space colonies. At the end, Zex kind of went back to the Saint Kingdom. And our, our heroes sort of pivot to protecting the Saint Kingdom for a while. While at the same time, Duke DeMale has this ongoing chess match with Relina where he decides to, like, one-up her by electing her. They call her the queen of the world or something ridiculous, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then that kind of backfires on him, and sort of he loses control. And then the colonies all this time are, like, pissed, right? Because they've been invaded by the Alliance. And a new faction breaks out, Isaac, called the White Fang, which is basically the the colony rebellion group uh, that doesn't want to live under Oz. What's weird is, if you remember when we first get White Fang's reveal, I think it's on the moon, right? A bunch of agents in Oz uniforms, uh, they take Tuberov captive. Right, yep. They say, we're the remnants of the Trace faction, something like that, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was so bizarre. That came out of left field that, what the heck is Trace faction troops doing, saying that they're with the colonies? Did they just sort of merge together? That wasn't done very well, I thought, or explained well. I took that that it could have meant a few things. One, that they had previously joined the Trey's faction, you know, and they had just happened to be stationed in the colonies. That maybe not necessarily that they started with Oz, but when there was the, you know, infighting in Oz that they joined the Trey's faction because they, they didn't want DeMail's, you know, version of Oz. Right. Or that, I forgot what, I forgot what the other option was, but... Or that the writing was so poor, they originally wanted White Frame to kind of be this reborn Trey's group, and then, like, a third of the way through, they were like, you know what, maybe it should actually be just a colonist uprising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So then we focus on White Fang for a while, and then it, it sort of devolves into this Earth versus space conflict, and Oz sort of loses outer space, White Fang gangs outer space, and then because Oz is now weak on Earth, like, Trey's rises to power again, and then it... And then uh, Zex or Miliardo, whatever you want to call him, he eventually takes control of White Fang, and then it ends up being Trey's faction versus Zex's faction at the end in in an Earth versus space duel, which is not something you would have seen just based on the beginning of the series. Yeah, and then we kind of wrap it up, and everyone agrees to live peacefully. That's the like two minute version. Those are the broad strokes, <laughs> and I have to say that that's pretty much what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know, Isaac. I got I got a bunch of questions. Oh boy. Should we try to go through in order? What how what do you, how do you think we should tackle this? Brian, I think we have questions, notes, and things we observed. I say we just do it. We just go down it. Hit me with your questions. Let's discuss. Okay, so at the, at the very beginning of the back half, Raleen is at a table now, and she's with a bunch of important people on Earth, and she's saying, you know, important-sounding things. And they all clap like she's spewing some revelatory, you know, stuff here. You know, she wants right, assistance yeah. from other nations. I was trying to think, like, this is not realistic at all. And then I stopped myself, and I was like, is it? Have we had anything like this in the real world? Like, who, who's the closest real-world analog to Relina? Is it, like, Malala or, like, Greta, what's her name, Thurnberg, Turnberg? Right, yeah. You might be right there. Um, yeah, right? Like, almost just a idealistic, not puppet, but um, not even a mouthpiece, but a, a speaking, not naive, but hopeful person? That everybody kind of rallies around? Yeah, like how often does someone that young get the mic in that important of a circumstance? Well, you just named two people from like the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty pretty common at the present moment. But, you know, we also have to keep in mind Relena has some weight because it, it looks like everybody in Oz really knows who she is. Yeah, so that's true. As far as they're concerned, she's one of the group, so they're willing to listen to her. Plus, she's so young. All of them seem really old. I can't think of any other women her age within Oz that have the same clout. Right. Yeah. Right. Not even Dorothy, really. And her dad or her, her grandfather's Dermale. Right. Dorothy seemed kind of invisible despite being someone that seems power hungry to an extent. Oh, yeah. Well, Dorothy just, she was a, a new character that kind of popped out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, she might be too open about her, you know, intentions. And I guess if you're in Dermale's camp, nobody really views you as a hopeful person, right? <laughs> so. True. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so th- yeah, it's kind of plausible that they would, you know, piggyback on her being such a celebrity at this point, an icon for peace in the new world they're trying to build. Because Rollerfeller's propaganda, or at least their their stated purpose, even internally, is we're going to build peace, but we're going to do it with robotic death machines. <laughs> <laughs> Once we seize the world militarily, and then the colonies via you know handshakes and smiles. Yeah. So once I decided that, I guess what she was doing was plausible. I kind of stopped giving the series crap for it, but yeah. it still did seem like a little bit of a reach. But yeah, I mean, she engages in this, you know, 30 episode long chess match with Ramafeller. You know, she says like, oh, I don't necessarily dislike Ramafeller, but they need to correct their mistakes. And I was like, well, that kind of means you don't like them. Yeah. I, at that point, I'm like, well, haven't they done nothing but mistakes? If you believe in total right. pacifism, yeah. like the whole, they're, they're essentially just a weapons corporation <laughs> right. with like funny clothes. That's about it that I gathered. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and so after this conference, this is kind of the part of the show where we pivot to protecting the Saint Kingdom. Hero and Catra turn out to be alive on a beach, and and Hero's like, Catra, you should go play with the dogs. And, and then, like, Catra go, literally goes and plays with some dogs. That was very odd. But they they eventually, like, make it to the Saint Kingdom. Uh, Noin's there, Sally shows up too, and Sally's, like, fully on board with the Gundam Boy agenda. And on their way to the Saint Kingdom... Hero and Catra, they land on this carrier, and they take it over by themselves. Like, they just rush in and take over the whole aircraft carrier. Of course. Hero jumps out of the plane, like, early, rolls out, and just starts shooting everybody. And he, like, never gets injured. And then they, not only do they take the carrier over Isaac, but they force everyone on the carrier to evacuate in the lifeboats. (laughs) How is that possible? (laughs) I mean, 
who knows what requirements Oz now has on their carrier. <laughs> Maybe they're like, well, we can't have any weapons. There's been too many internal rebellions. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many philosophical lines being spewed, Isaac. You know, for us, I guess the meaning of life is surviving battles. The battlefield is the only place we are allowed to live. I think those are, I think Hero said those. Sally and Noin are, are together. They're sort of figuring out that they both know the Gundam boys. Sally's sort of on this mission in the back half of the show to collect all the missing Gundams. She gives wing to Noin. She's going to go look for Sandrock and Heavy Arms, which are still on Earth at this point, I'm pretty sure. I've lost track a little bit, Isaac. We went back and forth so many times. Right, yeah. Plus they upgrade and all that. It's Right. It's a whirlwind. Also, the upgrades also themselves were never sizable enough to make a big difference visually. <laughs> yeah, so some of the upgrades like were good. So, like, Death Scythe and uh, Shenlong became Ultron. But then, yeah, like, I, I don't sure. know. Maybe, like, Sandrock and Heavy Arms models didn't sell very well because their upgrades kind of sucked. They they gave Sandrock a gun, and that was kind of it. Yeah, finally. They gave it the smallest gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't they just make him another gun, like the Heavy Arms gun? Right. I mean, I, well, I know they're all from different colonies, and they all had their different approaches, but... I don't know. So I think I feel like Sandrock was already good enough with like its head guns. You just need a lot of ammo. I guess, but I mean, it never relies on shooting, anyways. So true. Sometimes in this show, Isaac, people say really obvious things. Like Relina's butler. At some point, he says, "I have a problem believing anything the Ramafeller Foundation says." And I was like, "Dude, we're on episode <laughs> like thirty here. Are you just realizing that?" Maybe he was biting his tongue, like, for a while, you know, because he's, like, he, he's a butler, he's been in business for a while, he's has decades of service, and now he finally feels like he can speak his tongue, now that Relaine has really become first queen peacecraft, and then, you know, queen of the world, and all that. True, yeah. So, still on their journey to the Saint Kingdom, Isaac, Hero and Catra get caught up in this sort of conflict in the jungle, and Catra doesn't want Hero to fight, but he's fighting anyway. Catra walks away, which is just a great example of how the Gundam boys are not on the same page until basically the last, like, five episodes of the show. Was that frustrating for you to watch? Yeah. Also, I was, like, really scratching my head. Like, well, I mean, all right, Catra kind of gets a pass in a way, right? Because he's, you know, this rich billionaire son. And yeah. to an extent, maybe he has a bit more of um, leeway than the other pilots do. All of them seem pretty drilled and committed to the mission, right? Like they're, they might be a little casual or serious um, with varying degrees, but for the most part, they're very determined soldiers. Catra can kind of get away with that, though, since this is almost like a, a side gig for him, right? Like yeah. he's, <laughs> this, this is gappier. <laughs> Before he takes over dad's company, yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I think I'll. <laughs> There, there's some type of rebellion project we're doing some type of secret mission i think i'll i'll do it and you know my dad will make me the pilot because he's probably gonna bankroll the whole thing behind the scenes so so while in this jungle conflict catra you know he goes into this town some old guy in it like literally a, a vendor i think tells catra that more people more and more people are supporting the saint kingdom around the world and eventually ramafeller will have no support left so then catra makes this leap of logic that opens up the path to protect the Saint Kingdom, where he's just like, okay, well, the new goal is we, we have to protect the Saint Kingdom. And I was like, well, that's really not going to work, because if, if Ramafiller just kills all the opposition, then what are you going to do? Again, the leaps of logic sometimes the characters make, I, they're just saying something to get to the next plot point, regardless of right. whether or not it makes sense. So There was, I guess, half wisdom in there, right? Like, as well, Ramafeller is a hammer, right? And it can only do one thing. And the Sand Kingdom just made itself a nail by focusing on the opposite of Roman Feller, which is peace. 
But I don't know. They could have done something else, right, to get into the situation of Sankitum under attack. Yeah. And around that time, there's, there's, you know, we're fighting. Hero's trying to defend this this town. He's fighting the, these Virgos. You know, he's going to die, and Catra rescues him in an Ares. And Noin drops the Wing Gundam's buster rifle. They use that to, to wipe the Virgos. And I think, again, a lot of the combat in this show is just a little boring, right? They just they shoot a big gun and everything disintegrates. There's some good strategic points here in, in the back half, but overall, I think a lot of it is just... Is that what makes it boring to watch, Isaac? I don't know. To an extent, yes, because at this point in the story, mobile dolls are so ever-present that we don't get cool fight scenes that we do in other Gundam series of essentially what were you know the sub bosses or like a unique ace um a a cool mobile armor pilot something like that where we get cool back and forth between the pilot of the gundam and then the enemy pilot they could even have conversations that's something that we really don't see that much in this series yeah so i think that's definitely a reason why the combat's not as interesting and also i'm not sure if this was an animation choice or something maybe it was but mobile dolls don't do close combat there is not a single mobile doll, whether White Fang or Oz, that has close combat weapons or that engages in close combat. So that also really limits the type of fight scenes that we see in the series. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I can't remember them ever drawing a beam saber or anything like that. Nope. The dolls are strictly, uh, at this point, they're glorified mobile turrets, if you think about that. They they move, they point their gun, and they fire. That's all a mobile doll can really do. Sure, it's really effective because Ramafeller, you know, is such a massive organization that can pump them out. But on a smaller scale, I think they'd be next to useless if there was only like a handful of them. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. How did I notice that? Probably because you were half asleep. <laughs> that's, that, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. As you heard speech number 10 from <laughs> Relina about total pacifism or, 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 or speech by Trey's about the will to fight and, and soldiers on the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So eventually Noin takes Catra and Hero back to Relina in, in the Saint Kingdom. And Hero has to go to this, this school, this special school there that Relina has. And he introduces himself as Hero Yui. And no one acknowledges this, that he has, like, a, a very well-known name. Like, if I went to school, Isaac, and, I, and they were like, what's your name? And I was like, well, my name's Nelson Mandela. People would be like, wow, like, your parents must have been a big fan of Nelson Mandela. <laughs> you don't look like any Mandela I've ever seen. <laughs> well, clearly, but, like, you know, I, I don't know. Isn't it weird that no one is like, oh, Hiro Yui, the famous colony, you know, independence guy. That's different. Right. My headcanon for that was... If he was in a colony and he said, hi, this is my first time in your class. My name's Hiro Yui. It's nice to meet you all. Everyone's jaw probably would have hit the floor. Mm. But the fact that he's not only on Earth, but he's at like Earth on a an elite school, yeah. a boarding school, you know, as far as they're concerned, he might have said his name is dead peace-loving president from, from country X in the third world, as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they have more of degrees of separation compared to someone from the colonies where if you hear that name, you probably put down your drink and you're like, what did you say? <laughs> At this time, the Trey's faction is sort of fighting back against Oz. Relina's trying to take in these Trey's faction survivors, which is probably a bad idea, but she's going to try to do it anyway, but they, they decline. They say they don't want to soil the Saint Kingdom, essentially. And then Hero goes out and talks to him, and he's like, if you're going to lose your lives, there's a better way to sacrifice yourselves if you follow me. And I was like, and they should have, and but like they follow him, but like, shouldn't they have been like, well, who are you? 
And like, why don't you tell us your plan before you tell us to follow you? <laughs> They're very trusting. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and at this school with Relina, the institution, whatever, the Peacecraft Institution, Dorothy's there. So we meet Dorothy. Who is Dorothy? Isaac, because to me, did we see Dorothy in the first half? Do I just not remember her? I feel like she nope. popped out of nowhere. She did. She popped out of nowhere. I don't know what happened. Maybe they determined, you know what? Our villain, our male villains, they're kind of locked in. Uh, we're going to see one more, but he's such a side character that he almost doesn't matter. So we need someone that's able to be almost Relina's ideological enemy. And they never fight hand to hand or anything like that, but she'll be ever present in a way Dermale can't. You know, because Dermale really wouldn't be in the same room with her all the time. But Dorothy, you know, they're almost joined at the hip for some episodes. <laughs> yeah, it just felt really awkward. Uh, like, all of a sudden she was there and yeah. she's I'm going to go. And, like, it, it kicks off right away because she's like, oh, Relina, let's go to the battlefield or something. For whatever reason, like, they want it. She wants to drive her out there. So they, they Dorothy drives Relina to the battlefield, which is a terrible idea. Like, that would never go well. Why would you do that? And, of course, they immediately get attacked. And, you know, Katra and Noin have to go in and, and save her. And then, you know, we get some more of your favorite philosophizing where Relina's like, is my idea just a dream hero or is is it a mistake? To Dorothy's credit, she said exactly what she has to to get Relina to go along because Relina's probably like, well, I stand for pacifism. This person's clearly the opposite. I think I'll just keep showing her up, really. You know, sir, you want to see the battlefield? Of course. I hate battlefields. This proves total pacifism's right. I'll go with you. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, you can wander around my palace here in the Saint Kingdom and and talk to me with the cynical remarks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, do, do they have to pay tuition to go to this institution? Like, how did how did Dorothy get in? I don't know. If you were like, oh, you're Duke de Mayo's granddaughter, maybe it's not a good idea to allow you in my borders. I, I don't know. Why would you let her in? Yeah, not just that, but like, you know, what was weird about the whole Saint Kingdom episodes was Relena goes back to her school uniform. <laughs> but she's like she's like the queen of the kingdom. <laughs> Did she re-enroll herself, or are they like you know those uniforms are for like a group of academies around the world just for the the Ramafeller children essentially? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean that's fine. It just seemed a little abrupt, but also I have to note from it from a character design standpoint, Dorothy's eyebrows look a lot like Trey's eyebrows, but I don't see much of Dorothy in Dermale. So you think that she's somehow related to Trace? Well, Trace is well they are. Isn't he her uncle? Or like Oh, her is that how this works? Or something like that? Yeah, because Trace is Dermale's nephew. Oh. And she is the granddaughter of Dermale. So they are related. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Cuz I did notice the eyebrows and that had to be intentional, but I was like, oh, they're not related, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah. They were kind of like ridiculously villainous. Yeah, clearly, listeners, you can see how well I was paying attention to the Dermale family tree. <laughs> You're just waiting for those credits to start so you can click <laughs> next episode. <laughs> oh. Then we go back to space, Isaac, where Duo's just kind of lurking around. We find out that the Death Scythe Hell, uh, you know, his upgraded Death Scythe has, a, has cloaking. He uncloaks out of, of nowhere and takes out some Leos. How did you feel about the Death Shocking. Scythe Hell? <laughs> I think the cloak is cool. I kind of feel like we didn't get a lot of it in the series. It was kind of underutilized, and it really would have made more sense if it had it from the beginning. Like, his colony's approach was, okay, we send the cloaked Gundam, and it does a ton of damage because they can't really see it, instead of just, well, it has a scythe. (laughs) (laughs) And a poncho. (laughs) The cloak was neat. It's just one of those things similar to, I think, my comment in Seed is like, well, if this Gundam has it, shouldn't you have just like given it to all of them? 
Right, yeah. Or how come Lady Un, <laughs> she never asked, like, the engineers when she kind of takes them hostage, like, hey, you know that cloak thing? I want that on every of our <laughs> new mobile suits. <laughs> because we'll essentially be invincible at that point. Can you imagine cloaked uh, Virgos? Yeah, totally. Like, the totally. war's over. <laughs> right. I mean, there's just certain plot devices, like, in science fiction where like once you break down that door it's it's hard to be like you know why didn't you use it all the time or and cloaking is one of those i think in Lydian's defense by that point she was having mental health issues so i'm sure the the, the scientist team was very glad she didn't realize the obvious you know benefit of the technology <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs> then again she might have known trey's would never go along with being cloaked like he's all about mm. you know showing yourself on the battlefield and fighting toe to toe so maybe she was like you know what there's no way he'll give the okay on this. I'm not even going to ask for it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she's totally down with, with the Mercurius's like, shields where they just stand behind the shield and fire. That's not very honorable. Well, the Talgis had a shield, though, so I think Trace is okay with shields. It's just, you know, it's a difference between you can't see the shield and then mm. a shield. All right. Well, that's fair. Duo's kind of just figuring out what to do here on this colony, Isaac. He's just kind of meandering, kind of just like the show. Didn't you describe the show as meandering? That's a perfect adjective for this whole show. Yeah, and at this point, Duo's like, he's got a part-time job at the junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's making a little money on the side with, you know, Uber for trash, yeah. Uber for scrap metal. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he's doing a whole lot of nothing. Maybe getting with that, that woman that looks like Noin's little sister or something like that, right? Noin's 19-year-old sister. <laughs> yeah, Hildy. Yeah, I mean, her and Noin look way too similar in the design. You know, I'm, I'm surprised the character design team said, sure, we'll go with it. Like, couldn't you give her red hair or something like that, right? Yeah, totally. And I'm also yeah. a little confused. How is Hildy alive? The last time we saw her, didn't she almost blow up at the lunar base? Or is that later on? Am I mixing that up? I think that's later on. Oh, it's later on. Okay. I, I still don't know how she survived that anyway, but... She's so insignificant. It doesn't matter. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Duo's doing is like, would you say Uber for scrap? Yeah, Uber for scrap metal or junk metal. Speaking of Lunar Base, what's so different about this series, too, is how little of a role Luna played in it. Luna's always been critical in so many Gundam series, whether it's as like a massive military base or it's, you know, a huge population center. Here, it really seemed like Luna was a mobile suit factory and that was it and even then it was never too critical of a factory it really comes into focus twice first tuberoff goes there and starts making the virgo ones later on white fang takes control of it and pumps out virgo twos that's about it for all its ability to make virgos we we never really hear about oz or Rommelfeller, you know trying to bend over backwards to retake luna yeah or or go destroy it Right, with like, you know, something powerful like Space Station Barge, which right. they've had from the beginning of the series. Yeah, <laughs> floating out there. Why don't you go shoot that with Barge? Yeah, that's so, that was so underutilized, right? Like, we essentially had a super weapon from the, the beginning of the series that almost never got used. They used it once. They took out a sizable number of mobile suits, almost shot a colony, <laughs> then, and then Barge gets taken out, and that's it. <laughs> Maybe their thought was they wanted to retake it at some point, so they didn't want to blow it up. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe that is that Ramafeller's corporate thinking, right? They're like, well, technically we invested in it, so we can't wipe it out outright. We just need to focus on retaking it. Yeah. Okay. All right. That kind of makes sense. So while Duo's in this colony, he runs into the Oz mechanic that's testing, you know, Unit Zero, the assimilations. 
he he kind of declined to destroy Unit Zero when, when Tuberoff told him in the first half. And so here we see that he's still running these simulations. He wants to either find Duo or Wu Fei because he knows that they're both in space to get them to pilot it so that he can save the data. He wants to eventually supersede Tuberoff's mobile doll program with data from the Zero system. And he wants Duo to actually fight against mobile dolls with live fire. So he, he you know gets Duo in Zero. Duo takes out the dolls, but he hallucinates and that he destroys the colony with Hildy in it. So Duo does not like the Zero system. And we're going to go through that for every pilot here in the back half of this show. They're all going to get to pilot Unit Zero at least once, and they're all going to have a hard time with it. We saw Catra do it in the first half, and we're going to, every, what, like five episodes or so, Isaac, we're going to cycle through, okay, Troa, your turn, okay, you know, Wufei, your turn, Duo, you just had yeah. yours. <laughs> meaningless Oz Grunt, it's your turn to pilot it, meaningless <laughs> Grunt. <laughs> Wing Zero is the village bicycle, everybody gets a ride. <laughs> Tuberoff's goons eventually come after Trent once, once Tuberoff figures out that he did not destroy Unit Zero. But Trent goes nuts. He tries to fight him, and he goes nuts, and he's going to destroy the colony. But but Trent gets stopped, and Zero floats away. So right after we see Duo, the next episode, Isaac, we start to understand how Ramafeller's plans are coalescing. They're going to send a bunch of Virgos to Luxembourg. The Trace faction's there. Yes, which is the the headquarters of the Trace faction. And Catra wants to go and, like, save them, but Hero's like, no, you wait here until you find Troa. Because if you remember, listeners, in the, in the last half, we sort of lost Troa at the end there. No one knows where he is. And Hero, and again, this is another leap of logic, Isaac, where Catra's like, Hero, we should go. We, like, we should go fight like, and, and help the Trace faction because they're really the only people that are on our side. And Hero's like, nah, you should just not go. Even though, like, you're the, you know, besides me, you're like the best pilot on Earth. But I don't think we should have you in here. You should wait here and do nothing until you find Troa, who may or may not be alive. How does that make any sense? Like, Catra needs to get his ass to the battlefield and help out. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, the pilots are just, they have such different perspectives, I feel like, and also at the same time, they're so directionless that it, it would make perfect sense that they really don't know what to do or they're giving conflicting illogical advice to each other. Yeah, aye, aye, aye. There really is no command structure. I mean, do you remember that scene where Duo's talking to, like, I forgot, whoever it is, Scientist O or whatever? No, no, sorry, it was Catra. He was talking to him, and the scientist was like, you have a pure heart, you know, you really need to listen to yourself. And then, like, some order started coming through on, like, a microphone, and the scientist just rips it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember that one. Oh, wow. Well, well, you must have been asleep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the order from? See, that's the thing. It sounded like it was from some chain of command in the colony. I think Catcher even said, you know, is that from like leadership oh. or is that from command? And then the guy just kind of like hit the console and then ripped out the microphone. And he was like, ultimately on the battlefield, Catra, you have to like listen to your heart or whatever, be a compassionate person, something like that. Got it. I'm gleaming from that. I think the scientists really co-opted the whole structure of whatever the resistance was. <laughs> we'll never know. That is exactly right. And we find that out in about three lines of dialogue in the last episode. So it would have been nice to sprinkle that throughout the series, not just fill the plot hole at the very end. So is Keynes understandably upset? Like, to an extent, has he been the one behind the Gundam Wing project? And these scientists really kind of co-opted him, forcing him to really white fang at the last third of the series? 
Well, yeah, so we're jumping way ahead here. But, yeah, in the very last yeah. episode, Cans is like, he's pointing his gun at, at the engineers. And he's like, how many times must you interfere in Operation Meteor? And he's like, isn't it bad enough that you change the orders to the Gundam pilots? Like, that's the whole plot, Isaac. Wow. Yeah. We need three episodes on that, not not three lines. Right? I mean, Endless Waltz kind of sheds a little bit of light on what really happened, but clearly there was some grand plan that didn't go according to plan. Who knows who else was involved besides Kane's? There, there's probably a whole bunch of other characters that had their own adventures and stuff getting the whole Gundam project underway in Operation Meteor. Well, I think a lot of the manga side stories do fill in the gaps here. We'll never know. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there are <laughs> listeners who have read those side stories, and maybe they're really good. I've, I've heard great things about Glory of Losers, oh, God. which is the sort of redone version of Gundam Wing that sort of incorporates all of the different side stories over the years. And so maybe, you know, maybe, I'll just bring that up now, because that was going to be what I was going to say at the end, Isaac, was I would actually recommend that if you want to watch Gundam Wing and you're not overly attached to watching the animated version... I'd probably go read Glory of the Losers instead because apparently that has all this extra material that makes things, fills in the gaps and, and makes things make more sense. So that's my recommendation if you want to if you want to get into Gundam Wing <laughs> is to actually not watch the show but go read the, the manga. <laughs> Brian's Gundam Wing advice. Don't watch Gundam Ring. Read the manga <laughs> that expands on what it should have been. <laughs> yes, that's that's my advice. Now, if you want to watch the you know animated one go for it but if you had to choose one if you're trying to use your time wisely right like isaac there's a million gundam things to watch right right and there's other things to watch right you know people shouldn't just watch gundam you should watch other things too so true mostly gundam though. <laughs> <laughs> maybe escaflone <laughs> yeah oh yeah escaflone another good one yeah i'm an escaflone guy good designs in that show i loved it zex is also on his way to luxembourg he has these cool anti-ship missiles. So whereas Hero and Catra are trying to get to Luxembourg on Earth, Zex is still in space with the Tall Geese, and he tries to intercept the Virgos before they get dropped. As you said, since they're being made at the moon, they have to go from the moon to Luxembourg. So he's trying to pick as many off as he can before they get dropped. And he uses these cool anti-ship missiles, Isaac, where he fires like two of them, and then they split up. I wish we had seen more of those in, in the series. They're pretty cool. And of course, they gave it to Zex because he's he might be the coolest character. Right. I don't necessarily think a lot of what he does is logical, but he, overall, he's a kind of cool guy. They got a cool voice actor, cool character character design and all that. So it made sense. They would give him cool moments like that. Shortly after this, Isaac, uh, Relina totally owns the Ramafeller Foundation. Again, she's at this conference or whatever. I get so lost in, in what's a conference versus what's a meeting. I feel like they just have random table meetings when they need more plot to happen so yeah ramafeller's always meeting that's all they do <laughs> there was that one episode where the guy's like let's bring this up at the general meeting tomorrow at 11 a.m i was like don't you have a meeting every day what else do you do <laughs> yeah well maybe that's what he meant like are we we have a general meeting at 11 a.m every day we'll bring this up at tomorrow's general meeting <laughs> jesus order number one who will give our speech today on pacifism war uh <laughs> soldiers <laughs> And Demail will drink tea because that's There's what he three does. options. We got yeah, we got Dermail, Trays, or Relena. Who's gonna talk? <laughs> <laughs> so Relena asks Ramafeller at this meeting or whatever it is to use peace as their model. Ramafeller then like tries to one up her and they're like, you know what? We're being attacked by Zex Marquise, aka Miliardo Peacecraft, aka your brother. What do you have to say about it? 
And like that was their master plan, Isaac. She handled it well. Yeah, she's like, that's not Miliardo. You said it's Zex. And they're like, oh. Like that that was it. That was the plan. Like they didn't have a response for that. Yeah. They apologized right away. They're like, well, if you say he's not your brother and he's clearly fighting not for the ideals of the Saint Kingdom or peace, then we do apologize for kind of accusing you (laughs) and him. Right. I just thought that was pathetic for an organization of their caliber. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, some of them probably still view her as like a little girl, right? So they're like, well, we'll just kind of intimidate her in a meeting and then we can kind of push her around. What did you think about Trey's just making Epion somehow and giving it to Hero? It didn't make any sense, honestly. I Nothing Trey's does make sense. He's clearly just sort of a mouthpiece for the writing, and first he, he lost all his power. The Trey's faction gets almost next to wiped out. Then he still comes back from power to take over Ramafeller. The whole Epion thing. Epion gets passed around from, from Hero <laughs> to Zex, and then Zex just keeps it. <laughs> <laughs> It's not good, Brian. Uh, that's that's my summation. That's what I'll say. But, like, who made Epion? Doesn't he need the engineers? Because Epion basically has the zero system or something very similar. Doesn't he need the engineers to do that? Or did I miss the part where they were like, oh, Trey's went and talked to the engineer? And I don't remember a scene specifically with the engineers. Maybe they did get, like, an offhand comment or something. Or it was a, a scene so quick, I don't remember it. But, um... I do remember him with some Leos in a field. I think they were collecting the Wing Zero, or was it the Heavy Arms? And they were talking about, you know, how they're going to study it and build their own. Or he, he ordered some Gundanium from Luna, something like that. So that was enough for me. I was like, well, okay, we'll see Epion. Yeah, okay. Still terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Shortly after Trey's gives Epion to Hero, Zex gets custody of Unit Zero, Wing Zero, in sort of an unorthodox manner, right? He's shredding through all these Tauruses, but he does eventually get overwhelmed when one of the Tall Geese's verniers are hit, and he blows it up pretty much right away. I thought I thought maybe he had some fight left in the Tall Geese, but he got, you know, one one vernier hit, and he kind of just gave it up. Was that surprising to you? At the one hand, I was like, well, they did mention that it's very old mobile suit, right? Yeah. It's really advanced, and it's really good, but it's very old. So I was like, sure. And also, since they're not killing characters, clearly... They have to kill the next best thing, which is mobile suit. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> because not one character has died so far yet, Brian, from the main core group. And I'm not counting Relena's dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> everyone is still alive to this day. True, true. So he ditches Tall Geese and he jumps into the Wing Zero. And once again, Isaac, we see that Gundams do not have any security measures. If you get in the cockpit, which apparently you can open the door from the outside, there's no locks, <laughs> you can log in. Uh, just fine. So there are no keys in the after colony era, just like the Universal Century. Yeah, they took some notes from Gato. <laughs> just hop in there and hit the power button, and you're ready to go. Once we saw Epion, Isaac, that was when I appreciated that the Tall Geese was not red. Yeah, yeah. Tall Geese's colors aren't bad. The design's a little boring, but I don't know. I have an Epion, or at least I did. It's who knows where it is now. But, um,. <laughs> It's kind of cool, I guess. It's got a little bit of Master Gundam in it, especially the head part. It's okay. It's it's a weird transforming thing. I've never been too big on the whole double-headed dragon thing. Mm, yeah. I mean, it barely used the dragon mode in the show, though, I feel like. Yeah, very rarely, right? And other than that, it's too close quarters for its own good. It's got the heat kind of tail chain thing, a beam saber, and that's about it. It seemed very fast and very powerful, but it was a little boring to watch fight because it would just kind of 
fly by in a flash and then all the suits would just explode. Yeah, with the number of Virgos they have, you figure one of them would get the shot. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But yeah, from the perspective of just Zex is a, as a Shark clone, it was nice that he didn't always have a red mobile suit because that's like almost two on the nose, right? Yeah, he didn't have one. Well, he eventually had Epi on, right? But I mean... Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, at least half the show he didn't have a red one, so... True. Now that I think about it, the only red suit we see is Mercurius. Well, what about the Cancers? Those are red. Oh, you got me there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget those aquatic mobile suits. They're so unhumanoid, though, that they're almost just mobile armors, right? Yeah, that's fair. They're smiling undersea mobile armors. (laughs) Crabby. Did you notice in that scene where Zex is fighting all the Tauruses and he takes control of Wing Zero that one of the call signs for the Taurus pilot, who's a human is Scarecrow, which I thought was an awesome call sign for a mobile doll pilot. I vaguely remember it, and I assume he died. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Oh, man, Isaac, I wrote down this great example of random philosophizing from Trey's. You ready for this? Do it. So this is when Trey's was talking to Hero. Trey's says, well, Epion can show pilots their own future. Regretfully, there was no future for me to choose from, and after you've piloted this suit, if you end up like me, let us both part with our lives. Hero then says, why did you build this? And this is Trey's answer. All my life, I thought humans sensed their existence through continuous battle, though I couldn't come to any conclusions. My battle is over, but I have yet to determine the reason for battle. To find this reason, I figured a Gundam would be the most appropriate mobile suit. Also give my blessings to the winner and the loser. What? What a bunch of nonsense. It, it doesn't what mean a, anything. No, this is just pointless cool talk for the point of being pointless cool talk and shallow philosophical musings. It, it doesn't mean anything. Agree. So back in Luxembourg, the Leos are doing battle with the Virgos. And Isaac, I don't think I ever saw in the show up to this point or after the Leos ever shoot down one Virgo or even a Taurus. Yeah. I think this is it for the Leo. They're just outclassed by everything else on the battlefield. If they're in space, they're going to lose to Tauruses or Virgos. If they're on ground, on Earth, they're going to lose to Virgos. So this is it for the Leos. They said that they shot some down off screen, I guess, but I don't think we ever saw it. So not good. The engineers really screwed over colonies by creating the Mercurius and the Viate because that's what created the Virgo. So Pretty much. Well, I mean, the colonies kind of come out on top. <clears throat> in the final battle to an extent yeah true i mean if the colonies did have to steal the virgo from us though yeah they did a slight modification to it right they just kind of doubled the shield put the big rockets on the pack and that was kind of it yeah and even t- i think tuberoff made the virgo twos he just didn't put them into production i think they didn't they say something like oh we, we took your parts or something from the for the upgraded virgos something like that when they kidnap him yeah what what what'd you think of tuberoff <laughs> I thought he had a very, like, fitting, unceremonious death. It would have been a better death if we knew more about the White Fang when they killed him. In a show where the pilots of the Gundams and all the other main villains, to an extent that there really isn't a villain, um, I kind of like Tuberov to an extent, yeah. He's got a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was a good villain in that you didn't like him, right? Yeah. Do you remember the scene with him and Lady Un where I think they're watching the Gundam pilots or they send out some mobile dolls to fight the Gundam pilots? This is before he shoots her, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
she says something like, "What are you? Are you jealous of the the Gundam pilots?" And he was like, "Jealous? Don't be ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was though, because like I don't I don't think the dolls were doing well against them. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. They could have done more with like the whole AI aspect here. Right. Maybe they didn't know that back in 1995. I mean, we're, we're saying that now in, in 2021. But if you were to redo this show today, I think you would you would go deeper into the AI aspect of the mobile dolls for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tubro was also half a badass. I think his 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 bravest moment is when he kind of runs away from the guards, and um, I think he takes a bullet in the shoulder. Is that near when he dies? I don't remember that. Yeah, that was like minutes before his death. Mm. He like got to the command center and sent out like the few mobile dolls he could. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because he, he was thinking that like those would get him out of this situation, and then he was shocked when it when it didn't work out. Going back to kind of something I said earlier, Brian, who was the main villain of Gundam Wing? Oh man, um, it doesn't have one. Yeah, it's not Dermail. He dies too early. Can't be too raw. He was just a sub boss. I wouldn't say it's Dorothy, even though for some inexplicable reason, maybe this is on your notes, but she switches sides. Yep. And I don't think it was Trey's because he kind of reveals towards the end that he kind of wanted to die to allow peace to happen. Right. So to an extent, he was a good guy. Was it Zex? Was Zex the main villain this whole time? Not really, right? Definitely not in the first half, no. Yeah, so... Maybe in form in the last battle. But again, he, he wanted the same thing that everyone else did. I guess that's the point of the show, maybe. Whether or not it works, though, is another story. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I mentioned this to you before the podcast. Gundam Wing is very unique among almost every other Gundam show, series, and movie in that there were no ship-to-ship battles. Mm -hmm. Not one ship-to-ship mounted energy weapon or other type of cannon or scene where there was, you know, multiple fleets or two fleets engaging each other in combat. That's really rare in Gundam. My headcanon for explaining it is, well, the United Earth Sphere Alliance at the start of the series was in control of the Earth Sphere for so long, they really had no need for it. You know, whenever they had to go to space, they just really were transporting mobile suits. So that's why even when the colonies got liberated and autonomous, they didn't really have any ships on hand to make their navy. And I guess they really didn't focus on designing a battleship from the ground up and sending it out. Yeah, that makes sense. What also probably plays into is I think when we did our colony episode, didn't we figure out that the number of people on colonies in this universe is much lower? So I think there's just not yeah, as many people yeah. in space in this show. Good point. It's, it, it was really hard for us to get a sense of how many colonies are at each L point too, right? Yeah. We never really get a good look or a good number. Maybe it's in the lore somewhere or a manga, but we never really find out and i think that the lack of fleet battles really detracts from the series as a whole fleet battles are fun they're fun to watch they're engaging they add a, a new level of danger to the, the risk that the pilots face and all that you never really get that here something else we never get by definition is we never get hangar bay scenes you mm. always see that in gundam series you know they're talking the mechanics they're getting upgrades you know they're they're chatting and all that <laughs> we never get that in this series we get some towards the end on the Peace Million. All right. Y you got me there. Yeah. <laughs> Which is too godlike of a ship. <laughs> <laughs> but that leads into the my question about the Peace Million. As soon as the Gundam boys got to the Peace Million, the show got better. And it was because they were all in one place and because we got to see scenes like that where they were in the hangar bay talking and interacting with each other instead of 
all being off on five separate missions where you get to spend five minutes per episode with each Gundam boy and they don't really talk to each other. Should we have seen the Peace Million? I mean, the Peace Million is essentially your white base, even though it comes in at the very end. On a scale, it's also massive compared to the white base. Right, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. I, I just mean like that is our capital ship, right? If you had to say that the yeah. show, had, what is the capital ship in the show? It would be the Peace Million. Should we have seen the Peace Million much earlier? Like, would that have helped out the series? Absolutely, I think so. We would have had a centralized place for the characters to meet, talk, have scenes together, drama. Instead, we got everybody really too scattered. I don't know why they made this choice. Maybe it was just experimental. They were trying something different with how the series was. Who knows? But yeah, it would have been cool to have them centralized. Maybe all the engineers are on the Peace Million too. And whatever, Keynes is there. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I liked the Peace Million. I think it should have been there earlier. Or something like it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that ship. Right. That was a good central hub that we lacked the whole time. So, What did you think of Kanes and White Fang coming out of nowhere as not only a new enemy faction, but really becoming the main villain at the end? I think it was a really big missed opportunity. I don't disagree with the existence of White Fang. I think White Fang actually makes a lot of sense. When the first few White Fang episodes came, I thought to myself, like, it feels really weird that they're just coming with this now in, in episode like mid-30s or late 30s, early 40s when White Fang shows up. It just seems like out of left field because it really, we just spent 35 episodes developing some other evil force in, in Oz or Ramafeller. And now we're just, we're totally pivoting, which makes a lot of that development kind of go out the window which I think is unfortunate. It's kind of like, well, why did I just watch all that stuff if now we're going to go fight these guys? And I think it would have made a lot more sense if the Gundams had been sent by White Fang and they were all members of White Fang in the beginning and they said that. And maybe they were supposed to be and that's what it was hinted at at the end that the engineers sort of took the operation over yeah. from something like White Fang, if, if not White Fang exactly. But I mean, they could have you know, had White Fang uniforms or something. Because to me, it would make sense that the Gundams came from White Fang. Yeah, who else bankrolled it? Yeah, I, I don't know. Catra's dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's listeners out there that have read all the mangas and stuff, and maybe it further explained in there. But that's the problem, though, Isaac. That's that's a big underpinning of the show. And it, if it's that basic to the plot, I feel like you have to have that in the show. You can't have that in the side story manga. Exactly, yeah. And it was it didn't feel fulfilling. It's not good to have them as the final enemy you face in the final battle, even though they really hijacked a Ramafeller weapon, an Oz weapon, the the space battleship Libra. That never made sense either. This is clearly a space station, not a battleship. <laughs> so that didn't make sense. Dorothy switching sides to the colonies. I didn't buy that at all. Like, why is she even here? It, they're in the colonies. It should kind of be beneath her, really, to switch sides. Yeah, I agree. I could not figure out Dorothy the entire time. I kept asking myself, why is she in this show? What is she doing? Are we just using her so that Relina has someone to talk to? Because if, if Dorothy wasn't there, Relina would kind of go places by herself. Yeah, or Noin would be there, I guess, or Pagan. But Noin was just a glorified bodyguard, and Pagan is her, her chauffeur. So not a lot of interesting dialogue there. And I don't see Relina and Trace being joined at the hip since Trace is going to be in battle half the time, right? Yeah, definitely. There was one point when Relina and Dorothy were going back and forth, and they were arguing about total pacifism and, like, Relina got really catty. This was right when Oz was going to attack the Saint Kingdom. 
And she was like, if Oz targets the Saint Kingdom, I will just dissolve the nation and there won't be anything left for you to attack. It was when she surrenders herself to Oz. Okay. And then <laughs> Dorothy was like, oh, you did so amazing, Relina, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm not in the mood for your flattery right now, Dorothy. <laughs> you know, that was the equivalent <laughs> of like pulling off your white glove and like slapping her in the face. <laughs> she probably saw through how fake Dorothy was being. Oh, definitely. Dorothy was fake the whole time up until the end. Even, I, I assume, her reasons for joining Zex and all them were fake. What was she doing? Did she just want to keep the war going? She was like, well, I'm not really an officer, but you know, I clearly can command people. So <laughs> just bring me on the <laughs> ship, put me in control of the Zero system, and I'll keep the war going, you know, just to spite Relina. She did constantly harp on the idea that she loves war, so maybe you're right. Maybe she just wanted to keep the war going. It was one of those situations, though, where I was like, I don't really understand this character, and I don't really care. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> and then she lives at the end, despite all the trouble that she's caused. But that was the only real emotion that we got out of her, was at the end, when when Trey's died. And she was she was really upset about that, legitimately. And I think that was when it hit her that all this, whatever the heck she had been doing, was kind of dumb. Yeah, I suppose so. But well, kind of too little, too late, really. You know, her she and Dermail kind of caused a lot of problems along the way. Dermail died pretty early for someone that was kind of shaping up to be the main villain. But she lived through the end and shows up later in Endless Waltz. Which Virgo do you like more, Brian? <laughs> One or two? I think the Virgo 2 in the white fang colors is gross looking. It looks It's like booger green. <laughs> booger green? It's like khaki. <laughs> Isn't, oh, I don't know. It look, well, whatever. Boogers can okay. be khaki too. Bo- booger khaki oh, then is what I'm You going got with. me there. All right. The, the colors are definitely better on the Virgo 1. I mean, they're not that much different. Uh, I kind of like the whole suspenser field on one shoulder. Mm. It's more of a interesting look. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's be- it's a better artistic design when it's only on one side, for sure. Exactly. Less symmetrical. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I forgot something about Tuberoff. Let's go back to him for a second. Did you notice at the end when he died, he he exclaimed, I'm invincible, just like Boris did from GoldenEye? <laughs> no, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I recognize it now, though. <laughs> I wonder if they added that in the dub to be a GoldenEye reference or if, or if it was in the original script. But Maybe, because they're about the same time, right? Yeah. Because I was also thinking, like, if you dig into that AI a bit, I mean, if I was to write Tuberoff today, he, he would have a fate like Arnim Zola from the Marvel films where he ends up being an AI himself. I can definitely see that in Gundam. Like, Zex and the Gundam pilots, you know, at the final battle, they kind of put aside their differences and they start powering down Lyra. And then the power levels start climbing and they're like, what's going on? And then, like, I don't know, Sally Poe runs over and she's like, look at the screen. And, like, it's, you know, digital tuber off. <laughs> and he's like, I uploaded my brain, you know, into the doll zero system. <laughs> and I'm like, of course, of course. And the final boss is, like, Gundam doll. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Gundam Tuberoff. That'd be pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Better than what we got. <laughs> Instead, he got shot by a guy with a, a white thing on his arm. You asked me what I thought about White Fang appearing. I don't understand how they got that many people into Libra and into the factory to take it over. Yeah. Like, were all of Oz's soldiers secretly White Fang soldiers? Like, how, how, you need like thousands of people to make this work. Right, it didn't make any sense. So first we heard the whole, well, we're White Fang. We're, we used to be the Trace faction. But then Trace shows up to attack White Fang. 
so they can't betray soldiers. <laughs> uh, so, so was White Fang like really good at secrecy? Like this whole time they had like an army at all the colonies. And then the moment they got the signal, everybody went to Libra or their battle stations. And, you know, they had this military hierarchy ready to go. It, it really got pulled out of nowhere. And it's it, it, pretty poor writing, I think. Poor setup. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I totally bought it when it was just the four people on the ship with Tubarov who shot him. Yeah. Even though they said, okay, I'm, I used to be from the Trey's faction, that didn't really make sense to me. But at least there were only four of them. And I was like, okay, this, I could see you having four people undercover, right? Yeah. But then when it turns out that they just all of a sudden have control of the facilities, I was like, well, have they been working undercover at Oz for years? Like thousands of them to make this happen? I don't know. So I agree. Yeah, that, that didn't make much sense. And what did you think about the end situation and how it was kind of like Return of the King where like it, it just didn't end. The crisis did not end. <laughs> just like Return of the King had multiple endings for Gundam Wing. The ending was first, the final threat was Earth being destroyed by the Libra's cannon. And then, okay, we knocked out the cannon. Well, no, not yet. Now Libra and Peace Million are going to fall. Okay. We managed to get the Peace Million engines on. So Libra's not going to fall. Well, one corner of Libra still is going to fall on the planet, and that's enough to take out the Earth still. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, your analysis said it takes all of Libra to kind of put Earth into a, a nuclear winter. Now you're saying just a chunk of it, a quarter of it can do it? That's, right. you know, we need tighter analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Button down the analysis, people. <laughs> yeah, if that was true, we should have been firing the Buster Cannon at, at Libra, you know, three episodes ago, just taking out the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I wrote down in my notes, I think it was episode 44 or 46, and I wrote down, like, this really felt like it should have been the final episode. <laughs> or, like, you should have resolved it here. And then I knew that it was going to be dragged out given that there were three or you know four episodes left or so after that. The thing about the chunk of Libra really bothered me because I thought it was it was really tacked on. The engineers sacrificed themselves to kind of stop the Libra from falling. But then like the the one chunk breaks off and there's just some random guy I think in the in the room who goes like, "Oh, but but it's still going to be enough to bring about a permanent nuclear winter." And then you just like move on to the next point. It was very tacked on. I, I did not like that at all. I mean, it's yeah. fine to have him like go stop the piece uh, falling, but don't don't say that that one piece is still enough to to do whatever Libra was gonna do. Yeah, from what I remember, I think he said like, "There's a reactor in there too, or a power core or something." Each each of the corners of that four four pointed base had like its own power core or something. Whatever. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Trey's? leading into space this massive army fighting for earth fighting for the world nation composed solely of space type leo <laughs> so i have a number of thoughts on this against the white fang's massive army of only virgo twos right to my earlier point again we never saw leo make a scratch on a virgo so i was very underwhelmed when they said oh we have thousands of space what did they say? Primarily composed of space Leos. And I couldn't tell if that was a joke by the writing team to put that in. Yeah, Trace is an idiot. <laughs> Visually, it was cool when he rode in on the tall geese. I liked that. Yeah. But in terms of, yeah, of, of chance of success with the space Leos, I mean, they, they weren't going to win. 
not, not only did Trey's like take in the worst mobile suits to go into space, but he lets himself die, which kind of to an extent lets his army be defeated, right? Because they, they never fight without him. I mean, if Dermail was still around running the show, you know he would have thrown like millions of Virgo ones in his face. <laughs> he would have put nuclear weapons too. Nothing would have stopped Dermail. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I liked it visually, but the thing I didn't like the most about it, Isaac, was just that when we got to that point and I realized that it was going to be Trey's leading Oz against Zex, I kind of thought to myself like, well, now Trey's is just in control of Earth again. Why did we even go through the arc of him losing control? Like, what was the point? Like, we just ended up at the same spot. It was like a big circle. Yeah. I feel like a lot of waste, time was wasted. Like, plot was wasted. Not only that, but it's a bad setup, isn't it? Like, the Gundams are almost a sideshow at this point to the battle between the World Nation and Trey's versus White Fang and Zex. Wolfei shows up and, like, literally gets in Trey's face. But other than that, the, re- the rest of the Gundams were almost kind of on the sidelines. Yeah, Wufei was still a little sore because Trey's punked him earlier. Yeah, but I mean, this didn't help either because Trey's kind of let him win to an extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but even if like, if Wufei wanted a fair duel, he should have got out of his Gundam like last time and fought him hand to hand. In space, they're gonna duel. In well, space. They, I mean, they could go, you know, I don't know, stop in in the asteroid or whatever. But they'll start spinning one of the ships to create artificial gravity, <laughs> and then like they'll they'll disembark and get inside the ship and then draw their swords. Yeah, or they could go in the colony. You know, I don't know. Trace would still win. Like nothing's happened between now and the last duel where where Wufei is like a better fighter. <laughs> yeah, that's my point though. But Wufei came up on him with the Ultron, which is clearly better than the Tall Geese. Well, yeah, I suppose to an extent. Uh, depends on the hands, right? Also, like even from a dueling perspective, isn't it kind of not fair? Because like Trace is what six three, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Wufei is like five seven. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a small fry. <laughs> Trace was being a bit unfair. <laughs> what did you think of Zex taking control of White Fang? Because White Fang just existing and coming into the show is one thing. But then when Zex took control of it, I was like, what are we doing here? It really makes no sense unless you kind of view it from the point of view of Kane's is really the one in control of White Fang. But Zex is such a good military leader, essentially trained by the top military, Oz, that sure, he gave the go-ahead for an enemy of Oz to really lead White Fang, just for the benefit of his military abilities and skills. That's really the only way to view it, because Zex has no motivation for joining them other than get back at Oz, get back at Ramafeller, right? Yeah, but it's... (sighs) It's not great. (laughs) I mean, I could see it if he was just doing it to get back at Ramafeller or something, but, I mean, you know, he's attacking all of Earth, basically, and the Saint Kingdom is there, so there's going to be collateral damage there. I don't know. Very true. And also, you remember, he's in a bar drinking pretty much at like the halfway point when you meet Kane's kind of Mm -hmm. because he's really done with the revenge. If you remember, he defeated the United Earth Sphere Alliance. They're pretty much all gone. Well, they are really all gone at this point. They're the ones that attacked the Saint Kingdom. Technically, Ramafiller, of course, was behind it. But um, I I guess for Zex's purposes, as long as the United Earth Sphere Alliance is gone, he's satisfied. So I guess he was really done with his story then. A lot of it became this weird back and forth between him and Trey's, though. Remember, they were doing so much. We're connected or blah, blah, blah stuff. Yeah. I wish they sort of maybe put in something where Trey's was involved in taking out Saint Kingdom. That would have been like, oh, this makes perfect sense now. Right. You know, but no, I guess even Trey's would never be involved in something like that just based on his personality and his beliefs. 
Dermail, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they killed him off, so. Yeah, Dermail's gone. I don't know if anyone told Zex, probably, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just felt like him all of a sudden being in, in control of White Fang and taking the stance that he did. Now, I know they explained it at the end, but at, for like the 10 episodes where they hadn't explained it yet, it felt like it was like a Spanish soap opera where they were just, no, I am the real villain, just to have some like shock value. And I, I didn't like that, especially because before that, Zex was so, I don't know, maybe cerebral is not the right word, but he had a plan like the whole time, you know, which he executed fairly well. So you know, I don't know if I liked Zex as much in the last half. He was my favorite character in the first half, and I'm not sure if I have a favorite character in the second half. So I was about to say, like, who did you did you ever like Zex? He was so I didn't really care for him as a lightning count because I don't know. I thought he was this kind of weird char looking guy that didn't really do much besides do what trace told him to do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i liked that he kept his desire to avenge the saint kingdom secret i thought that was a good storyline i thought that was the best part of the first half pretty much and yeah to see him do this big turn at the end it was i didn't find it very fulfilling i thought it was a little strange so i know they tried to explain it but i don't know if i really buy it but and then I feel like they did a lot of work to get us Zex versus Trey's at the end, Isaac. And then they didn't even fight in a mobile suit. Yeah, Zex really subverted our expectations, right? He's like, I'm not even going out to duel you. Are you nuts? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying in my command center and maybe I'll fire the main cannon at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like subverting it is fine. That's probably a good move, actually. It just seems like they made the plot go a certain way to pit those two against each other. And then to not have them fight is a little disappointing. Yeah, right. Especially since they're the leaders of both armies. They both technically had a Gundam. Zex really wasn't using it until he needed to after the Battleship Libra was kind of on its last legs. But yeah, what could have been, right? It would have been an epic fight. Instead, maybe Zex wisely knew the Gundam pilots will be here any minute now. I really don't have to do much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's what's so weird about the back half to me. Because I do think that the battles with White Fang were more engaging than those with Oz. But, like, the whole justification of, like, all of a sudden White Fang coming out of nowhere, it's just so strange. I feel like the development was better for Oz. We spent all this time learning about the aristocrats and Duke de Mayle and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden now we got to stare at, like, the bad guy is is a dude who wears a vest in space in cans, you know, his little <laughs> blue vest. Like, it just, right, yeah. like, we spent all the development on one bad organization, but it was terribly boring and you illogically get to this new villain who's more engaging from a visual standpoint, but I have no idea how I got there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, actually. You you really summarized it well. I also feel like Kane's revelation should have almost been him being a good guy in a way. Let, let me explain. Him revealing, you know, we built the Gundams. I was the one behind getting everybody together, the engineers, and, you know, really kind of mastermind this project to liberate the colonies. We're here now. We're going to back you guys up. And then if it could have been rewritten that way, I would continue it further and say, have, have Dorothy become the final villain. Dorothy really taking the place of where her grandfather could have been, wanting to get revenge for him dying. We already saw she had that cool sort of zero system panoramic control room. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was basically wearing Cerebro from the X-Men films. Pretty much, yeah. So it would have been cool if she got in Libra or something, or she got in some situation where, you know, she gets Virgo 3s 
and mm. some other mobile armors or something. And, you know, she, she's really the final boss and Tuberov left her some type of emergency weapon or something, you know, that was originally for Dermail. I actually thought that's where they were going. Yeah. When they introduced her, I thought that Demail was going to kill Relina once they had her as like queen or otherwise depose her and then install Dorothy there as a way for Demail to still be in, in power, but not like be outright in power, right? I mean, it's one thing for like the dictator to elect himself, but if he holds an election with his puppet candidate, that's more believable. But then, yeah, you're right. She, she switched sides and, and she switched sides to like stand on the bridge next to Zex when he like sits in the chair and controlled the mobile doll. So yeah, I I just get the sense that they didn't really know what, what they wanted her to do or I don't know. I'm still very confused by Dorothy's presence in this story. Maybe I'd, I'd have to watch it again, but I don't know. I'll go a step further and say it was a lost opportunity because first we see her and she's introduced as this, this ideological opposite of Elena. Mm-hmm. So over the course of the series, they could have just evolved that into her becoming an actual physical threat also maybe not because she's a trained pilot or a military officer but tuberov left her the keys to the car dermail kind of left her you know direction and purpose the rest is really up to her to, to say you know what warfare is really the way to go peace can never exist permanently or at least not but without force here's my plan to use virgo threes libra or whatever else to really you know put the nail in the coffin for the colonies maybe she blows up a couple in the final battle that'd be pretty cool and then um you know she says i'm going to start my my absolute control over the the earth sphere and of course it's up to the gundam pilots up to trays and zex oh god that would be awesome they all team up against dorothy to your point a few weeks ago you told me this off the podcast we, we definitely need to do a gundam wing rewrite episode absolutely where we start from scratch we save it because <laughs> i think you and i agree that there, this is a pretty great premise and i'm not yeah. sure how we arrived <laughs> at this execution <laughs> brian we got in our car <laughs> we said we were going down the street <laughs> and we ended up in ohio <laughs> if you read the log line for this show it could be something you know like the earth kills colony leader colonies send five gundams on revenge that's the start of a great Western, Isaac. Yeah, right? You can't screw that up. I don't get it. So unique in setting, too, for Gundam, where the Earth is evil right. from day zero. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, the colonies don't have fleets or armies or anything, so we're not in a Zeon situation or anything like that. Instead, it's just what they could scrap together was five Gundams, and they send them on a mission. And that's it. Speaking of colonies, Brian... This series is also in its own category for having the worst names for colonies. <laughs> colonies in every other Gundam series have had interesting names. Mm-hmm. So the, the groups of colonies themselves. In Gundam X, they were called Clouds, like Cloud 9. In Gundam C, they had names like, you know, Junius for the plants and all that. And Heliopolis for Kira's own colony. In the original series, they get their own names or even group names, like 30 Bunch. Um, or Mahal, things Mm -hmm. like that. Here we get terrible names like, you know, Colony X1799 and and things like that, right? Isn't it terrible? It's it's so, or am I reading too much into it? Like, or or maybe not enough into it. Should I read that as United Earthsphere Alliance is that oppressive? Where like, as far as they're concerned, if you're in a colony, you're just a barcode. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to say that it might be realistic in the sense that, you know, maybe if there really were space colonies, they would just be numbers. But I actually don't think that's true. I think everyone would, they would treat it just like their town, right? Their city. They would give it a name. Yeah, absolutely. It actually just hurts the show because I couldn't tell you what colony was what. You know, when they say, oh, it's L24, I'm not going to remember if that if that's the same as the other L1 that we heard three episodes before that. Absolutely not. The only thing that I could tell was Wufei's colony because he's always at that dojo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which, by the way, his master has like a terrible dub voice. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it being great, but fortunately we don't suffer for it long because he he dies when they blow up their colony, right? That was the only colony that gets destroyed, I think. Well, no, Catra shot down at least two colonies, right, in Wing Zero? Did he? Yeah, yeah, in the in the first half, for sure. Well, wait, one of them was, like, taken over by Oz, so it was technically empty, right, except for Oz goons? Yeah, it could be, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're in a Gundam series where the heroes destroy colonies. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sad. Poor Catra. I don't, you know, the thing about it, Oz and Ramafeller and White Fang didn't destroy a single colony. They destroyed an asteroid, or at least part of an asteroid that Tro's dad or Catra's dad was on, but they didn't destroy a single colony <laughs> to their credit. Yeah, so maybe they weren't all that bad. Isaac, do you have like a best moment of the show? Oh wow. Like say something good about the show. Okay. I'm glad you brought this up because I really didn't want to cover it. There's a lot of ideas here that I wish got refined better or executed better on. Like you mentioned, it was an interesting setting, secret mission. We don't really have vast armies going at it or huge fleets or anything like that. I think the the philosophy and stuff that they really wanted to focus in on would have been really interesting if they executed it better, if they wrote it better. Again, I'm not sure if we're missing something that got lost in translation between Japanese and English. That's a possibility. Maybe we're not getting the weight of it or the coherence of it as much as we would if we watch this in Japan. So, yeah, that's what I think overall is good about it. Mobile suit designs, I think they're a weakness. The plot and writing as we got it is definitely a weakness. Another thing I noticed is we're a little super weapon dry, <laughs> compared to most Gundam series. I, I don't even count Barge as a super weapon, really, because that thing was so rarely used, despite them having it for almost the entire show. Libra really shows up at the end as the main super weapon, but they test fire it. Other than that, we never see its full power, I think. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd summarize my thoughts as um, the good things about it are the ideas and what they could have been. What do you have to say, Brian? I think the best part of the show for me was again when the, when the Gunnam boys were on Peace Million and they finally started to work together. There was one of the battles where heroes held back and he's like, I have something to do. And then there was another battle after that. And it turned out that what he was doing was copying the zero system. And he has Catra install it on the sand rock so that Catra can glean enough data f- during the fight from the zero system to give orders to the other Gundam boys to stay in some sort of formation so that they you know, don't get their asses kicked against these Virgos. And I thought that was probably the best moment in the series because that's when the, the boys go from not being able to work together at all to working together very well. Catra conquers his fear of the zero system. And it just felt like finally the five characters that you see on the cover of everything for the show were finally on one team and they're not really before that i think that was episode 44 or 45 so you watch 44 episodes 
without the five people on the cover being a team. You finally get that. So I, I thought that was good. And it was a good use of the Zero system. And I thought that was one of the episodes that felt the most Gundam of all, <laughs> besides some of the ones at the end with, you know, with, with Libra and, and whatnot. It also brought up another question, which I think we sort of talked about before. But Oh, no. Going back to the Gundam boys training at the colonies, were they never instructed in how to f- fight as a team? <laughs> like, How could they, Brian? I mean, they all grew up separately. They didn't know of each other's existence, really. Well, I mean, they kind of have a vague idea there might be other pilots, but um, they never trained together. But that could have been such a good plot point. They could have been taught generally how to fight in a team. I suppose. They could have all been taught the same general formations, and that would have been a good like learning exercise when they realized that, oh, they all know the same team strategies. They just have never talked to each other before. I don't know. It just, again, it just bothers me that no instructions were, were given to them. I know the colonies couldn't talk to each other, but they, there's this thing called paper. You could have written things down. <laughs> I would say my favorite group of episodes, at least for being interesting, the Sank Kingdom episodes. Because not only do we see mobile dolls, which I thought were pretty cool, we got to see them in action some more. But um, we also get to see Relena finally in a position of authority and doesn't really go well. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting her and Dorothy kind of having their their version of combat with each other, philosophical combat. It was interesting seeing these whole total pacifism ideas show up and they really don't work, at least to an extent, I think. From a certain point of view, maybe you're like, well, by dissolving the Saint Kingdom, she kind of got it to work because then she just gets absorbed into Ramafeller and she kind of rises to the leadership. But I, I don't know. I thought those were interesting episodes. Combat-wise, as so many episodes were... Leo's being stomped, dolls being wiped out, that I don't think there was a lot of interesting combat per se, but um, the barge episode was interesting because we got to see the cool weapon and then they take down barge. Uh, it was interesting that you bring up the Saint Kingdom episode because I agree that it was good that Relina was finally in power and it was alarmingly quick that it doesn't go well for her, her total pacifism because I think it's either in like the same episode or maybe the episode after where she's forced to decide whether or not to take in the Trey's faction refugees and then be accused of, you know, harboring guerrilla combatants, right? right? So it was pretty funny to see her her philosophy kind of crumble because she, she gave in to the sympathetic, oh, it's fine, I'll take you in and we'll deal with the consequences later. Her total pacifism thing didn't really last all that long when push came to shove, I guess. No, and the only reason <laughs> at the end of the series they have peace is because there was enough fighting that they're able to establish peace. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think Dur- Dermail is smiling in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, yes, let's let's talk about the ending. Uh, again, you and I are big on endings, and I think this is an ending that requires a lot of did the show do enough to get you to believe the character's motivation for the actions they were taking at the end of the show. So my understanding of the ending is that Zex switched sides and is waging this space versus Earth war to make everyone realize how bad war is so that they will all convert to total pacifism. And Trey's is protecting Earth because Earth is basically already moving towards peace because Oz controls everything. Do you buy Zex's take at the end, his opinion? I don't know. Did they do enough to convince you that that makes sense? Like, how did we go from the from him in that bar having accomplished his goal to Zex at the end. I feel like Zex's reasoning makes sense because he said that multiple times, right? Like he, at least twice. (laughs) (laughs) 
he wants the war to be so horrible that people do have peace afterwards just out of a reaction to it as for trey's fighting is he kind of working off the same energy then is he like well i pretty much have to put all our weapons in a space so they get wiped out and then we have no choice but for peace yeah and to your point he kind of either knew he was going to die or let himself die because he gave the orders to lady un to uh destroy all their mobile suits after the battle was over remember and she's like oh that's that's what his excellency ordered so he he'd clearly already told her that that was the plan Okay, so to an extent, they're both working for Relena's dream. Kind of, yeah. And I think Hero oh. says that at the end somewhere. Doesn't he say, like, oh, they're, they're both willing to sacrifice their lives for their goals, and I have no intention of stopping either of them, which I thought was actually pretty <laughs> savage. But I mean, technically, since they're both on the same page, they could have just negotiated to, like, stand down, right? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Couldn't they have just called him up and been like, hey, I think we should stop. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, you know, like, things over. That would have been Relena's victory then at that point, that everybody willingly accepted total pacifism. You know, there didn't even need to be a battle. That that really would have subverted expectations. <laughs> Jermail would have been spinning in his grave like, oh, God, you know, they're really doing it. <laughs> well, that was kind of what we got at the end, though, right? I mean, when Lady Un patched the feed of Wing Zero fighting Epion to, like, everybody, to the colonies, to Earth. Yeah. I guess it's awful convenient now that now they can communicate live with everyone but i guess the idea of that was like we're showing you that this battle is going on i thought what she said made like no sense like if you just actually listen to what she said but also that like these people that she's showing this to they have no idea who these mobile suits are like is that gonna make any sense not really like it makes sense to us as the audience but you know i agree with you the stuff she was saying was like when she's saying weird stuff like can you feel it yeah it was so abstract can you feel the desperation? We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> For all people know, these are two mobile dolls like battling it out. Right. Yeah. People might not even know exactly what mobile dolls are or Gundams at this point. They just know that there's there's mobile suits fighting. They're controlled by different factions. If you're in a colony, you're kind of at the mercy of whoever's in power right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's a red one. There's a burgundy one fighting a, a white one. <laughs> right. And they don't know who's who. Kind of going to your point, though, um, I guess in, in effect, you're right. You know, the colonies kind of stepped forward, even though they really hadn't been involved too much as their own faction. They kind of stepped forward and say, you know, White, White Fang doesn't represent us. We want peace. <laughs> <laughs> we Oh, they even apologized, right? They did. Yeah, they apologized. <laughs> but they apologized literally, I'm pretty sure, as that peace was like breaking off. So it was yeah. kind of like, oh, we're really sorry. And I guess we're especially sorry about that extra piece that's breaking off. <laughs> that must have been intentional then. They're like, you know what? White Fang's gone, or at least enough of it's gone to matter. They knocked out the super weapon. We should probably sue for peace now. <laughs> <laughs> Quit while we were ahead, basically. Yeah, he's like, yeah, we're kind of on even terms with Earth right now. Let's just patch things up. We'll make a government. Relena's <laughs> definitely going to be involved. We'll be okay. <laughs> Oh, Isaac. Okay, well, looking back on the series, did you have a favorite character? Uh, probably Tuberov. <laughs> <laughs> or are you just so exhausted from all of them that you don't have a favorite? I definitely don't like any of the Gundam pilots. I think Trey's kind of says too much for his own good. What I liked about Zex was the whole kind of revenge arc. I kind of wish they doubled down on that. Relena, she was interesting if her ideas were communicated more effectively. (laughs) Then again, a lot of the time she was just, you know, on repeat. Yeah. Dorothy is very much a what could have been character. 
I'll, I'll double down and say I'll go Tuberov. <laughs> Tuberov. Wow. That's such an Isaac pick. Yeah, for being the mad genius that invented mobile dolls. Really, you know, stuck to his gun throughout the whole series. Didn't go down like a coward, like like Dermail even. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Tuberov. I'll, I'll cosplay as Tuberov at the, at the anime convention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the mobile dolls are, are a fascinating idea that we haven't really seen much of in Gundam, unless I'm misspeaking. We definitely saw the mobile armor from Iron-Blooded Orphanage, which yeah. was great. That was fantastic. They're drones. And in Crossbone Skullheart, we saw the Jupiter Gundam piloted by the, the Amuro Ray data, which was good as well. Yeah. But mobile dolls in here were pretty boring overall. Yeah, boring, but like, you know, in our world of drones, they, they, they make so much logical sense. That it, was, it, was, it was very much, of course, but in a series about giant robots and, you know, space opera, not the most engaging thing. Right. Do you think that's because there were so many of them, or is that just the execution of the show? I think it's because ultimately you don't get that dialogue between opponents that is the staple mm-hmm. of every other Gundam series. Yeah, that's fair. So that's fair. that was so absent in this series. I can kind of understand to an extent why. Maybe they didn't want their teenage leads essentially murdering grown men every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll say that. Who, who was your favorite character? <laughs> I doubt it's too rough. It was definitely Zex in the beginning, or at least the first half when he was on the revenge plot. The second half, I'm not really sure. Second half hero was a lot better than first half hero, I can say that. If I had to pick one of the Gundam pilots, though, it was probably either Duo or Troa. I feel like Troa took a lot of initiative. Really? I always thought Troa was so weird. Like, his whole kind of mental split. I mean, who could blame him? He was weird. I wouldn't say he's my favorite character, but Duo was definitely the most likable of the Gundam pilots for being so normal and kind of yeah. even-headed. Catra also, you know, the rest of them were just too high-strung, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather hang out with Duo and Catra than I would Wufei or Troa or Hero. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I like knowing a lot. Yeah. Knowing was cool. Oh, my point on knowing Isaac. Again, a really missed opportunity to have a female Gundam pilot. How many episodes in the back half, especially the last 10 episodes, did she fly around in a Taurus right next to three other Gundams? And did you not ask yourself, why does Noin not get a Gundam? Couldn't she at least be using Wing Gundam or Unit 01? There are also plenty of opportunities for her to get Epion, right? Or just anything. I mean, you know, give her her own Gundam. Make one. Yeah, G- Gundam Peacecraft. I don't know. And she re- she defends the, the same kingdom. Who knows? Yeah, or give her, you know, another tall geese or, or something. Yeah. To elevate her a little bit above Mobile Doll. I guess not. So, oh, actually, no, I do have a pick, Isaac. You know who the best character in the show is? Oh, boy. Uh, Pagan? <laughs> no, it's not Pagan. It is, you ready for this? I'm ready. It's the narrator. The narrator, he's got a cool voice, doesn't he? He has a great voice, and he holds this House of Cards plot together. Because every episode, he recaps where the hell we are in this mess of political (laughs) philosophizing. He's got a cool voice. I really like it. They made a great pick. He might have been the best pick (laughs) for a voice. (laughs) Him and Zex. Brian, in the first half of the series... When they're doing the opening narration and they're talking about how the United Earth Sphere Alliance sees the colonies, 
and that shuttle's trying to escape the colony and it gets yep. shot by like a Leo. Do you think that was a civilian shuttle or was that like filled with resistance members that were like trying to book it out of there? My head cannon is it was resistance members. Okay. Okay. So the Leo was justified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think the, the Alliance never struck me as like war crimes, Earth Federation from the Universal Century. Okay. Oh, huh, interesting. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm not saying mobile dolls were like, you know, morally great or anything, but they didn't go around gassing people. Right. Or yeah, using, yeah, you know, yeah. nuclear weapons or really any other super weapon if you think about. It. <laughs> yeah. So you were you were less than impressed about Libra then. Yeah, pretty much. It never felt like a threat until they fired the weapon, the beam cannon, the Libra cannon. Other than that, they never really even made a point of saying it could hold a ton of mobile dolls. Presumably it could, but I, I'm not a big Libra fan. It's okay, I guess. I was so confused about Libra's size, Isaac, and Peace Million's size. Like, one thing, I didn't realize that Peace Million was almost as big as Libra until the very end. Yeah, it's massive. And then I don't understand how that makes sense. They say that Libra's a space station, but Peace Million is this ship that can, like, maneuver... Where's the line between station and ship? No, they actually call Libra battleship, which which drove me crazy because I look at it and I'm like, this doesn't even look like a ship's design, right? It clearly looks like a, a battle station. Yeah, but if it's just a ship, then it's it can't be that big to cause the damage that they're claiming it would cause. Yeah, I think it was just poorly named in the writing. Yeah, I don't know. Head cannon, it's a station. <laughs> it's bigger than barge and barge was a space fortress so right you know that that should tell you everything yeah i guess for libra and peace million i mean i thought they were okay in the plot I, libra at least has a distinct shape like i'll never look at something else and not know what series it belongs to i'll definitely be like oh that's libra and the same thing with peace million peace million looks like a a white stealth bomber right what about the other mecha that we saw on the back half here, Isaac? This the new stuff. I think we already talked about the Virgo twos. We already talked about Death Scythe Hill. What about Ultron? Did you like Ultron? No. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I felt each of the new upgrades for the Gundams were just not enough to really differentiate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't too pleased with them at all. And they're not on my list to buy. <laughs> i liked ultron i thought it was good i do like the dragon arms even though i think it's it's really hard to to dragon arm like a hundred mobile dolls to death right you need something a little more efficient than that okay i feel like they all should just have wings buster rifle yeah that would have that would have taken the cake right what about tall geese 2 you are a fan of the tall geese 2 though right it's okay it's an improvement <laughs> over a lot of things we've seen but i'd be more interested in buying it than a leo but that's not saying oh <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it listeners i think that's a win for my sure <laughs> and then what about epion i mean you, you had epion was one of your first models do you still have a soft spot in your heart for it not really i wouldn't <laughs> buy an epion again <laughs> i'd rather buy a, a, a virgo one that might be my top within gundam wing Okay. And then after that, maybe maybe a Virgo 2, which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just like the Virgo 1. <laughs> so a Virgo fan, but maybe not Epion. I mean, Epion was, I mean, people loved Epion, and people still do love Epion. Has that design just not aged well? I don't think it's so much that. I think it's just maybe they cling to it because it was Zex's mobile suit, and they're really saying, I like Zex. <laughs> mm, okay. Not necessarily, I care much for the Epion. 
Got it. Which is a, it's a two trick pony, really. I mean, it's got the heat whip, and then a beam saber, and that's it. Yeah, there's no gun, which I don't really understand. No, Trey's really <laughs> in bed with that one. I know. And then like the then he gets a Talgies too, and he made sure it had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Talgies' gun was great. It was amazing. <laughs> he he's a dead eye when he wants to be. Isaac, what would you rate this the back half of Gundam Wing? I'll say this, kind of going off your own thoughts a bit. We did see some better battles, some more interesting character interactions. We wish it was done better and differently. We wish the writing was more on point, but overall it, it ends much as it was uh, in the first half. A meandering sort of mess that was trying to say something. It never actually fully enunciated what it wanted to say. And as a result, we end up with a mediocre ending for a mediocre series. So for that reason, I give Gundam Wing the second half two out of five stars. Or Haros, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Two out of five Tuberovs. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, what do you give Gundam Wing the second half? Well, Isaac, I'm just going to refer back to my original paragraph summary. I do think that the back half of the show was more engaging than the first I did notice on the wiki that apparently someone else directed the back half compared to the first half, so that could have something to do with it. (laughs) I think the show has a lot of potential. I just, the execution didn't do it for me. I fully appreciate its impact on the fandom and its importance. So if you're a Gundam Wing fan, more power to you. This one just wasn't for me, wasn't for Isaac. I think I'd give the back half a 6 out of 10. Okay. My beginning half was, I think, 4 out of 10, so I think I'll settle on the show overall as a 5 out of 10. Even though the back half was better, I mean, maybe the back half could be like a 7 um, on, a, on a generous day. But I, I don't feel overall... Like, Isaac, like we just watched 49 episodes of a show. That's a lot, right? You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like 100. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them I did have to watch twice because I fell asleep and then I didn't, I didn't know where I left off, so I had to rewatch part of it. You heard it here, folks. It's that bad. It put Brian asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I just don't feel very satisfied. I got to be honest. So I'm not looking forward to Endless Waltz as much as I thought I would after watching the series because I've seen Endless Waltz probably six, seven times, Isaac. That was the only Gundam DVD I owned for a long time, so I just watched it over and over. Oh my God, you have it on DVD? You poor soul. <laughs> I do, yeah. Well, because that was kind of the, that was one of the only ones I could find on DVD. You saw it at Suncoast and you grabbed it. Damn right. <laughs> you know what? And I didn't really know what it was, but I knew that it was cheaper than buying 10 DVDs of, of Gundam Wing. I, I could buy the cool movie with the cool holographic cover for the price of one DVD, so I got that one. In, in Endless Walls' defense, I'll say this. You'll probably enjoy it more if only for the the better animation. <clears throat> Endless Waltz does have much nicer an- animation, and I think the designs are pretty cool in that one. Yeah, some of them. <laughs> but you know what that DVD of Endless Waltz gave me, Isaac? And that's what Gundam Wing will have always given me. A trailer to 0083. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is that little pamphlet uh, that we talked about on our very first episode oh. that had all the UC mobile suits in it. There you go. And it opened up the world. Yes. So it, it introduced me to the world of Gundam. So f- for that, I have to be forever thankful to Gundam Wing. And I think any Gundam fan in America needs to be forever thankful to Gundam Wing because that was the only reason that we got the other Gundam shows on TV. 
You got me there. We, we thank you, Gundam Wing, for opening the door. We just wish it wasn't a, qu- a creaky, rusted door. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on Gundam Wing, uh, particularly from people who loved Gundam Wing back in the day and have recently rewatched it. Does it still hold up in your mind? Is it still one of your favorites? You know, what do you think? Are we being too harsh? L- let us know, I guess. <laughs> before we close one thing i forgot to mention was i thought it was pretty funny how the engineers put a fatal flaw or not a fatal flaw but a pretty serious flaw into the libra's cannon and how each time they fire it a team is going to have to repair it (laughs) oh yeah that was really funny it was so weird though because the people on libra they clearly didn't know that something was wrong with it well i mean it's white fang you know if it was oz people they probably would have kind of understood it and maybe they even would have been able to repair it faster but I'm sure White Fang kind of found out that it broke each time they fired it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, listeners, yeah, that wraps up Gundam Wing. If you like it, please comment below. I'm really curious. Tell us what you like about the second half, characters, mobile suit designs, scenes, ideas. What do you like about it? Explain. Elaborate. All right, Isaac, take us away with a tuber off. All right, everybody, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed. Put your hands together. Get on your knees. Look up at the ceiling and hail the Ramafeller Foundation. Good night, everybody.